0: Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today, I have Dr. Dave Striegel with me. Dr. Striegel has a PhD in sports psychology, and he's the founder of the Striegel Performance Coaching. Dr. Striegel, man, it, it's, it, I loved chatting with you on the pre-show. I want to jump in. I would love to hear your origin story. What led you into sports psychology? You got a book out there. Uh, you're, you're doing you know business coaching now. Tell me, give, give, me, the, give me the journey.
1: Well, it's not your typical journey. I would say that Uh, I started out in a small town in Kansas where I grew up and wanted to be a professional athlete at first. But then when it became apparent that I wasn't gifted with size, speed or enough talent, Mm -hmm. then I was like, "Okay, what's the next best thing? So I figured I would be a guidance counselor and a coach because I really liked my guidance counselor in high school and, and I wanted to be involved in sport. So that was the path I was on but then comes senior year of college I did a project with a women's basketball player at my college at SMU in Dallas and she wanted to do it on sports psychology and I I did a double take I said what what's that <laughs> and she said sports psychology and then right then I didn't even know you to know what it was I said that's it that's what I'm going to do and so I took did the fastest research and this is I'm dating myself a little bit. This was pre-internet, so Mm -hmm. I did the fastest research I could on where the grad schools were, and I ended up at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, got my master's and PhD, and from then on, have been really been invested in helping people perform under pressure, started in sport, very quickly realized that the concepts and principles that apply to athletes and coaches
0: Mm -hmm.
1: apply to everybody else who wants to be good at what they do. And so that's, I made that transition, gosh, 25 years ago uh, and have been interested in, in all different types of performance environments, but probably 15 years ago, connected with an old friend of mine who was in San Diego and had a business with his dad catering to dentists on the financial aspects of profitability and, and then taking that money and making sure they save it for retirement. And, uh, he and I got to talking and he said, you know, the kind of work you do with executives and and athletes could really help my clients because we outline these great plans for them to implement in their practices and they don't do them. And so then that was my entree into dentistry. And I've been immersed there ever since and absolutely love it.
0: That's great. Now I have to ask you the question. Uh, we were talking about a little on the pre-show, if you look at the coaches out there, in professional sports, who sticks out as the guys who just, they had it figured out?
1: Well, that was a great question that we were talking about. And, and even since we, we spoke, my brain keeps working on like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said so-and-so or something like that. But, but the ones I mentioned were John Wooden and Phil Jackson, and they just happen to be in basketball. But the reason I, I gravitate toward them, and, and you could even say more present day, a guy like Steve Kerr or Don Staley, these happen to be all basketball coaches because they're easily observed
0: and mm-hmm, you tend mm-hmm. to
1: hear a lot about them. There's more dialogue back and forth in the, in basketball than a lot of other sports. I think,
0: I think basketball is culturally more open to what goes on behind the scenes and such. Yeah.
1: Agreed. So we have more access. And mm-hmm. what I like about all those coaches is they approach the whole person and they really want the whole person to thrive in whatever the role is that they're filling in their practice, or in their team, or their university, or their organization, and that's the approach that I have taken to the work I do in organizations and dental practices, etc. Is I really focus on the the whole practice and the whole and, and each person in it, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. any business is just the sum of the individual people in it, right? And, and we have all kinds of examples of. especially in sports where you have teams that weren't talented by the empirical measure of talent, but yet together they achieved great things. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely have always been team oriented. So that's what I gravitate toward.
0: Yeah. and Andre and I grew up in software development as in, in the early years of our relationship and things, and we saw the same thing. I mean, you know, you'd have an incredibly talented developer, but the team could not accomplish great things. But you would have another team that all got philosophically on the same level, and and you know, again, not to get technical, but on test pattern development and, or whatever yeah. it may be, on their philosophy, uh-huh. and they made it their own, and and they made it part of their identity. And that team went on to out punch what what should have been their weight, and they they took on more complex projects and got it done. And but like, I think the real measure of a leader is finding a way to get the 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 holistic team to improve their their the overall performance and not you know putting people in a position to succeed is i think a really underrated
1: tool and well that's that, an interesting point and it's in <laughs> the first step i think is to put them in a position to succeed and the thing that i also find some leaders struggle with is getting out of the way and letting mm. them succeed so It's one thing to put them in the spot, so at the free throw line or whatever, but then you've got to actually shut up and let them do it.
0: No, that's a great point.
1: And risk failure.
0: Now, I have a question. There was a Harvard study around – it was an old, 70s, 80s era study, and it talked about the monkey, who owns the monkey, the monkey being the project. Uh And it it talked about this concept of – If you're the type of manager who has the team run everything by you, me coming and saying, hey, you know, what do you think of this? I'm I'm actually like, and I have to now wait for your feedback. I'm I'm actually abdicating responsibility of the project because now I I can't move forward unless you do it. And now it's your monkey to feed and care for and take care of. I just have to wait for you to do to do the work where, you know, and and they talked a lot about ownership of projects and how management gets in the way. Yeah.
1: Well, it's an extension of that, I think, is this notion of autonomy.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: there's a a really uh, straightforward, but I think powerful uh, neuroscience model that a guy named Dr. David Rock created called the SCARF model. Okay, It's an acronym. And it stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Mm -hmm. And those five aspects are what often trigger the threat response in the workplace. So if someone's underperforming or, re, or behaving in a way that's just not like them, chances are their brain is being triggered in some way by one of those five things. And the one you hit on was this notion of autonomy. And our brains thrive on having control over our environment. Mm. They also thrive on certainty, but it's a fine line you know, certainty is not too far from micromanaging. So right. you have to provide clear expectations, but then let them do it. So it's the distinction between the outcome versus the process. Mm. The outcome, let's say in dental practice terms, the outcome the owner or the dentist has to set. What is the goal? What are we striving for? Okay. Yeah. The process is where there's a lot more leeway. It's the equivalent of saying you're going to drive from San Diego to New York. Mm-hmm. There are a million different paths you can take. But as long as you're clear with your expectations, you have to be there by a certain day. You have to be prepared to do X, Y, and Z. And the car has to be in one piece. Mm-hmm. So then if that's the expectation, then you can take you know turn it over to the team member and say, get to New York on time. Gotcha. Just keep me updated if you get lost. Right. Now that scarf
0: model, status certainty, autonomy, relatedness and fairness that you mentioned, walk me through how I would apply those in say executing a daily huddle. Like let's say I had a daily huddle, I wanted it done. I wanted to I wanted to review all the patients in uh, you know that are coming in for the day, what they're having done make sure my team's on the same page. How would I apply that scarf model to something like a daily huddle, make it, make, and, and make it where I'm not the guy who has to, you know, be there every day to make sure it happens?
1: Well, it depends on what role you play. So if you if you um, are the doctor, mm-hmm. so you are at the huddle every day, So, mm-hmm. but you may not be the one in charge of it. So right there is you have demonstrated autonomy to one of the team members, could be an office manager, could be some other leader, in the practice, or you could rotate, you know, there are practices Mm -hmm. that rotate the responsibility for leading the huddle, but there's autonomy in terms of establishing expectations of what the huddle agenda is going to be. So you have to be clear on what your expectation is that is covered and then what the outcome is at the end. So I like for doctors to start with the end in mind with their huddle. What do you want your team to leave with when you're done? And it's generally a combination of two things. It's a clear path, a clear picture of the day and the roadblocks or the bottlenecks and things like that. And then an inspiration, a, an element of motivation or, or a shot in the arm, some kind of infusion of energy that we can mm-hmm. then break the huddle and, and start seeing patients. So with respect to the scarf model. You know, the, the autonomy piece is com- a component of it, the certainty piece with expectations and agenda. Then the status element, which is in the workplace, what gets triggered the heaviest, when it does, it doesn't always get triggered the most frequently, because certainty and autonomy are kind of more operational things. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if someone's status is questioned, they're going to be gone for a while, meaning they're right. mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So if you can instill compliments, and uh, verbal rewards in your huddle, meaning let's, let's say you had a heck of a day yesterday, but the team held it together, maybe had a couple of difficult patients, something went sideways, etc. but you held it together and finished the day, you might acknowledge that the next morning and, and, and actually by name mention how some of your team members really stepped up. That's going to anchor their status and the fact that I am seen And my, my, my role matters, even though I'm not (laughs) maybe the most in, you know, the, the senior person. And then relatedness has to do with how we get along with each other and how we, how we work together. And, you know, that's where the, the energy of the huddle, and there are a lot of different ways you can infuse energy into the huddle, but you want it to be a lighthearted, but focused energy, not. Oh, gosh, you know, here we go off to the coal mines again. So <laughs> that starts with the person who's leading the meeting. But you want there to be a camaraderie. And then the fairness piece, that's why I like the idea of, of rotating responsibilities for the huddle. If not the leadership of it, but then various components of it. Uh, that way, everybody stays engaged and nobody's able to check out.
0: Yeah. Now, that's really well said. I like... How you broke that down, and one of the challenges we face in dental I feel like if i'm not the one doing it sometimes it doesn't get done and you know I, and I know that I know that every management consultant and coach in the world would tell you that I am probably in my own way of i have expe-
1: i have expectations of maybe co- they wouldn't it depends on depends on if you're willing to hear the the feedback to the to the scarf model it, it's it's something that's hardwired in our brains mm <laughs> hmm is this notion of comfort and, and consistency and something that we're familiar with etc change is not generally something our brain uh, uh, pursues i think we if the pain that you're experiencing is significant enough then yeah you'll change because again that's another hardwired survival mechanism inside mm-hmm. us is mm-hmm. when we put our hand on the hot stove we're going to take our hand off of it because there's pain mm-hmm. But what we ideally wanna get people moving toward is the reward. And mm-hmm. that's kind of philosophically where where I go, rather than trying to, to focus people on the pain, though sometimes you have to, I'd rather get them refocused on pursuing excellence, pursuing what they're moving toward, rather than what they're moving away from. Though you and I both know that the pain is a tremendous motivator. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to focus on the pain and feel the pain in order to, to, to move off of the path you're on.
0: I think at different phases of my life, I've been motivated by different things. I think when I began my career, I was very much motivated by, I did not want to live poor.
1: And that's a pain, right? And
0: that, and that was pain. It's, it's a pain I experienced. You bet. um and now at this stage i'm much more focused on i want to be a good father i want to balance my time i don't want to trade time for money i want to
1: i would say that that we all fall into or shift back to let's say the the pattern of being motivated by fear you know i fear is very a very uh, useful emotion you know f- fear <laughs> is there for a reason and So I would say, don't be afraid of feeling the fear, Hmm. but don't also beat yourself up because you get scared. Yeah. So then the question is, is what does the fear do to you? And that's where a good coach comes in. Mm -hmm. And, And that's, I haven't quite thought about it in these terms, but that's probably one of the things that I excel at if I look at the success I've had with my clients is that I help them be able to make decisions and move even when their body or brain tells them they, that they don't want to, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but because of, you know, the, the, either the business metrics or the people metrics, or just look, you want a different result. You're going to have to do something different, right? Yeah. I know it's scary because we don't know how it's going to play out, but if you're clear on what the outcome is you want which is different than what it is today then you know in some in some respects you know i'll pull you along Mm -hmm, or i'll
0: mm -hmm. push
1: you from behind i can't do it for you but i will be there to pick you up if you need to be picked up or kick you in the butt if you need to be kicked in the butt but you've got to do it
0: yeah what's the saying if if you think uh if you think change is hard wait wait until you get the bill for regret
1: Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I love
0: yeah. that one. Yeah. Well, gosh, this has been amazing. Uh, how how would someone get in touch with you? I mean, I, I know you have your you know Striegel Performance Coaching website. Uh, yeah, you know you, you have the Take Your Shot book out there. I, I'd I'd love to dig into next time. But what's the best way to get in touch with you? And and you know, give me a give me a rundown of what kind of clients you enjoy working with like what's your ideal client and how would they get in touch with you
1: okay well my ideal client is really someone who is interested in pursuing excellence in their business in their practice mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter the size because the principles apply really in you know whether it's a one doctor with you know four or five team members or or you know small practice versus a larger practice partners etc it's they're just different layers of people that need to perform with clear expectations, et cetera. So it's really a, a more of a philosophy I'm looking for in my clients who gotcha. they want to pursue excellence in their way, not in my definition, in their definition. That's And that's a key distinction here is it's not me telling them what they should be pursuing excellence toward or what that definition is. It's what they de- decided it is. The second part to that is that they're coachable is that it's not going to be mm-hmm. them telling me what they're willing to do. then them telling me what, you know, how, whatever I'm suggesting is wrong. I don't mind them telling me I disagree, but they need to be coachable. And, you know, when you've been, if you've been in sports at all, you know what I mean by whether someone's coachable or not, because you've seen both sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the best way to get in touch with me is, is through my website, Uh, there's a a, an icon there you can click on to request uh, information or or to submit that goes to me that uh, that I get and then I'll reach out to you and we'll set up a time for us to have you know some type of virtual cup of coffee and that's generally how I start with any inquiry is let's just get on a zoom call or a video call and and tell me your story what do you what do you look what are you after and uh, and if and if the you know, the things match with what you're trying to to pursue and, and achieve with how I go about doing that, then, you know, it could lead to, to one of several different levels of engagement that I mm-hmm. that I apply to my clients.
0: Just, Dr. Striegel, thank you so much for your time. I love talking sports and I love talking business and philosophy. Um, Dr. Dave Striegel, thanks again. And that was your buy to dental marketing.